invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1, the very first psalm you'll find it on page 448. Page 448, if you're looking at one of these Bibles in the pew rack in front of you. As you're turning there, I'll ask, what is the secret to life? What is the secret to life? That's a big question, isn't it? And it gets after our desire for success, for happiness, for longevity. Everybody wants to know what the secret of life is. And there are no shortage of answers. In fact, if you peruse the self-help and religious book titles on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, you'll find the answers to life in many different ways, just in the titles. From an unrelenting, positive attitude, titles like Your Best Life Now, or Every Life a Friday, or Every Day a Friday. Answers from that to an unrelenting stoicism, not being affected by anything. Titles like The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Blank, and Zen and the Art of Happiness. What is the secret to life? Well, you'll find answers not just in the bookshelf, but also on other media outlets. You can turn your radio dial or open YouTube and listen to gentrified business professionals give TED Talks about what they think the secret of life is. Well, if the TED Talks aren't more your speed, maybe the local news channel is. Every now and then on the local news, a journalist will go out and they'll interview a person who's over 100 years old. And they'll ask that sweet person, what is the secret to a long life? makes me think of one example of this that happened three years ago. It was ABC Dallas. They interviewed Elizabeth Sullivan, who just turned 104. They asked her the same question, what's the secret to long life? And it was something that she's been doing for over 40 years that the doctors have advised her not to do. Drink Dr. Pepper. (laughs) Three a day, she says. She says, every doctor says they'll kill you, but they die and I don't, so there must be a mistake somewhere. (laughs) What is the secret to life? Well, all of this is not to say that there aren't nuggets of truth in each one of these sources. It's just to say that there are a ton of sources. But it's not a wonder that Jesus said, wide is the gate. And easy is the way. Yeah. (laughs) There are narratives of the secret of life all around us. If we think about it, the wide way, the easy way, would appear to be the most attractive way. Because it seems like it would be the most sensible. It's like driving in a city that you don't know. In a big city. I think last year we were driving in Chicago. I do not know Chicago. This is a place where there are streets and there are streets above streets and streets within streets. And so we plug something into our GPS and like it, you hear those words that you hate here, like make a legal U-turn like a thousand times. And eventually you just give up and say, all right, we're just going to follow the people in front of us and surely they know where they're going. Well, that was not the case. They led us down a road, and we eventually had to make a legal U-turn on that road. (laughs) 
So, it's not always wise to do what everyone else is doing. And sometimes the narrow way can seem foolish. Well, the first psalm, we find that the road to blessing comes not from our internal compass. That compass is broken. It comes neither from following the crowd. The popular way is not always the right way. The road to blessing comes from something outside of us, someone more precisely outside of us. It comes from our creator and our redeemer. It reminds me of the famous words from the poet Robert Frost, who said, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. A less traveled road might not be the popular road, but who would, know be- who would know the way better than the one who made everything? God's way is the way to life. So let's read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. If you are new to OBC, or just by means of a reminder, this is kind of what we do every Sunday. We take a portion of the Bible, whether it be small or big, we try to discern the main point of that passage uh, in accordance with the context of it, in accordance with the original author's intent of that passage. And we try to see how that main point fits within the entire scope of Scripture. And that entire scope of scripture centers on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we take that main point of the passage and we see how it has bearing on our lives today. For the word of God is living and active, still powerful, still the spirit's sword. So we always start with the Bible because we really believe that this is God's word to us. God's word about himself, how he reveals himself, who he is. God's word about how he saves his people. God's word about how he wants his people to live. So when doing that for Psalm 1, we see that the psalmist sets two ways to live. He sets two ways to pursue blessing. So the main point of it is, blessing comes by delighting in God's way, not ours. Blessing comes by delighting in God's way, not ours. And we see that contrast carried throughout the psalm. So if you're a note-taker, the contrast is seen in three different ways. Uh, The different delights, different fruits, and different ends. That'll be the structure of our time together. Different delights, different fruits, and different ends. Now before we dive into Psalm 1, it'll be helpful for you to know a couple of things about the book in general. You should know that this is not uh, a continuous narrative like many of the other books of the Bible but that it is a collection of individual hymns, prayers, and songs. 
And also, unlike other books in the Bible, it is not written by one singular author. It's written by several different authors, the most famous being King David, who wrote most of the Psalms. Well, you should also know that the Psalms span a wide range of Israel's history. There are Psalms that deal with the Exodus period in Israel. There are Psalms that deal with the time of Israel when it was a monarchy, especially during King David. There are even psalms that deal with Israel being in exile in Babylon. Well, not just a wide range of history, the psalms deal with a wide range of human emotions. Probably every circumstance and emotion that you can imagine. Like a good music library. There are psalms of sadness and lament, and there are psalms of exuberance and joy. Now, while there, are, there, while there is a wide range of historical circumstances and a wide range of emotions in the Psalms, there is one underlying theme throughout the entire collection. And that theme unfolds throughout the five different books of the Psalms. And that is, the Lord God is sovereign king. That's the main theme that the Psalms carry throughout. And if we look through the lens of the entire book of the, the entire Bible, we see that that theme, the Lord God reigns as king, is fulfilled ultimately in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of the promises of the Psalms. So friends, the Psalms are a treasure. Even Jesus sang the Psalms while he was here on earth. He sang them with the disciples at the Last Supper. The Psalms, think about it. They are God-inspired lines of songs and prayers to relate to God in all circumstances. They show us how to live. They show us who God is. They show us his plan of reconciling the world to himself through his son. So, these, this is the Psalms. There are 150 of them. So, it's going to be a long journey. The next 150 weeks, we're going to look at every single psalm. <laughs> no, you picked up the sarcasm pretty easily. Um, we are going to close the year by looking at 10 different psalms. Uh, and so this will be a good introduction, a good representation of the entire collection. Uh, we'll, be some, we'll cover some famous psalms, but we also want to uh, go throughout the entire collection. So we'll do Psalm 1 and we'll do Psalm 150. Um, so at the entrance, though, of the entire collection, in Psalm 1, we are asked, whose side are we on and which way will we go? Those are the questions that encounter us as we enter the Psalter. So we first see that the differences in the two ways set before us is a difference in the light. Here we're looking at the first two verses. And the very first word of this psalm tells us the goal of the entire thing. Blessed. It is searching for the person who is blessed. Now, blessed has, come, uh, has become a bit of a trite word. Very overused. Hence the name of the sermon. Hashtag blessed. But you may ask, well, isn't everyone blessed? Well, yeah, in a way. Everyone is a recipient of God's common grace. 
makes the sun shine on the just and the unjust. He is patient with all people. So yeah, in a way, everyone is blessed. But what this psalm is searching for here is the person who is truly blessed. Gets after to the person who is truly happy and fortunate and fulfilled. That's what everybody wants, isn't it? And even if you say you don't want blessing and happiness, you are seeking your blessing and happiness by not wanting blessing and happiness. So where does that come from? What's the source? That's what we really want to know. But it's not hard to prove that everybody wants blessing and happiness. But how to get those things, that's another story. Friends, doesn't the existence of this psalm tell us that the way to get these things is not known to us naturally? Doesn't having instructions for this tell us something about ourselves? And what are the instructions? What is the source of blessing and happiness? Well, contrary to what the water boy's mama says, it is not from magic rays of sunshine that come down when you're feeling blue. <laughs> oh, mama's wrong again. The source of blessing and happiness. This is something we're interested in, right? I'm ready. Here's how it starts. It says, blessed is the man. Okay, here we go. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. What gives there? Why start out that way? I'm expecting an answer here. I'm expecting the secret of life. And here we are, coming all negative Nancy, high and mighty, talking about stuff we can't do. Just slow down. Think about it for a second. What if this wasn't here? What if all that was here was, blessed are those who delight in the Lord? Well, couldn't you come around that and say, well, I can delight in the Lord and still on occasion on the side take counsel from the wicked? Well, no, what this is showing by starting this way is saying, those two ways do not go together. There is no meshing of those ways. So this is a warning of a departure from God. A warning of a departure from God. And you can, can you see the three degrees of that departure in verse 1? The three degrees of it. The walking, standing, sitting. This is a central feature of Hebrew poetry. It's called parallelism. And it's consecutive lines that echo the same idea in a way that narrows it, in a way that explains it, in a way that adds to it. And the beauty of this being the central feature of the poetry of the Bible is that this isn't really lost that much in translation. Unlike something like rhyme would be lost in translation. I think that's just the wisdom of God here. Anyway, here we see three degrees of departure from the Lord. And so one commentator describes these degrees like this. It's the person who goes from accepting the world's advice to being party to its ways, to adopting its most fatal of attitudes. The many voices around us that would try to get us to depart from the Lord are like the voice of the serpent in Eden, attempting to get us to delight in other things, attempting to see, to convince us 
that obeying ourselves is what leads to life. And so we wonder, if you're you're familiar with the book of Judges, of why we keep doing this, what explained the destructive cycle in the book of Judges? That they kept on doing the same foolish things. It's a familiar phrase, because everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So this is not the way of blessing. But what is? Well, the blessed man is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Instead of accepting and adopting what is against God, he accepts and adopts what God says. And here, the word law, Torah, most precisely means instruction or direction. And when the psalmist use it, they can refer to a single command of God or even all of God's word. The entirety of Scripture was given for our instruction, the Apostle Paul says. But more than accept and adopt what God says, the blessed man delights in what God says. And what does delighting in the law of the Lord look like? Verse 2, meditating on it day and night. Now, this can be tough for us to understand, given the current understanding of what meditation is. We have to keep in mind, to help us with that, that reading back then is different than reading today. Not only did they have scrolls instead of codexes, like books, like we have, but most reading was done aloud, not uh, to yourself in private. So that word, meditate, it gets after something that's audible. So maybe it would suggest to us that we mutter and ponder over what we are reading. So whether that's allowed or not, the point is that we don't just read what God says. We read it and reflect on what God says. We think hard about it. We ponder on what it means for how we live. And the blessed person does that not just on occasion. He doesn't just do that when he walks into church on Sundays. He does that day and night. This is a way of life for this person. So, let's bring this home for one moment here. On the road to blessing, what we delight in matters. I wonder if you've considered that, that what you delight in matters. We say, hold on a second. Where was this delight back in verse 1? Well, if you think about it, if meditating shows that we delight in the law, then what does sitting in the way of the wicked show that we treat the wicked? Wouldn't it show that we delight in what is wicked? So this means that you don't have to have an energetic or perky temperament to delight in something. No, what you delight in is what you think about, pursue, and give yourself to the most. That is your delight. So the question becomes, friend, what is that for you? What is that for you? What is that? What is it that you can't stop thinking about, that you can't stop pursuing, that you can't stop letting influence you? Psalm 1 says, That the way of blessing is when we delight in the Lord. And when we delight in the Lord, we seek him in his word. 
So maybe you're here, you say, oh yeah, like that makes sense. I'm on that train and the caboose is going. But maybe there's some disconnect. Maybe you know that God needs to be your delight, but it's just not fully there yet. Something's, the gears aren't totally grinding yet. You should ask the Lord to show you the preciousness of the gift that it is to have favor from him. The precious gift that it is to know the almighty God, to know the maker of all things, to know the one who designed everything, to know the one who rules above the heavens, to know the one who knows every molecule. What more precious gift is there than favor from this God through the mercy of his son? Especially when you know that you have rebelled against this God and you do not deserve his favor. So if there is some disconnect for you, you need to recapture the preciousness of this gift of knowing the Lord. And doing that, knowing the preciousness of God, well, it's not hard to see why then the man in Matthew 13 When he found the treasure in the field, he sold everything he had with joy. And he went and got it. Because there is no more precious thing than the God who made everything. So friends, when God is our delight, we will pursue him in his word. That's what follows naturally. That means that the secret to approaching the Bible is not being the smartest person. It's not having an aptitude for it. It's not having degrees. The secret to approaching the Bible is a heart that delights in the Lord. There it is. So if you are pursuing this, if you are pursuing God and his word and fighting for delighting in him, friend, keep going. Keep going. This is the way of blessing. You may have a hard time understanding. You have a hard time focusing Friend, don't give up. Maybe read less and reflect more. Study with a mature Christian friend. Continue to sit under expository preaching. Keep fighting for delight in the Lord, and God will give the increase. So the pursuit of blessing begins with having the right delight. In verses 3 and 4, we see what the different delights produce in us. Different fruits. So look at verse 3. What does the tree in verse 3 produce? Produces fruit in its season. Produces leaves that are lasting. Produces prosperity. And where does this produce come from? What explains it? Well, it's because it's planted by streams of water. Notice here, this is not a wild tree. This is a planted tree. And the choice of where it was planted was deliberate. They intentionally chose to plant this tree near a constant source of life. That's why this tree always produces fruit. But it says it's not so with the wicked. What does delight in sin produce? It produces chaff. 
here chaff or husks of grain separated from wheat at the winnowing process. So the winnower would toss up wheat and the chaff, and the wind would drive the chaff away and separate it from the wheat. So chaff here then represents what is useless, what goes away, what fades, what is vulnerable. You see the contrast to the tree that is rooted and always has life. And why is the chaff like this? Why is it not like the fruit that lasts? It's because it's by no source of life. So, everybody wants the first word of this psalm, right? Blessed. But in considering the road to get there, have you taken hold of that which is truly life? Are you planted by streams of water? Maybe right now that your tree seems fine, but what about when the winds come? You see, chaff is deceptive. By nature, it looks like the real thing, but in actuality, it's very vulnerable. But you see, the compelling thing about the fruit is that the fruit that comes with de delighting in the Lord is not that it's just stuff. This fruit is stuff that lasts, stuff that you cannot lose. Victor Frockel was a Jewish doctor who survived the uh, Nazi concentration camp. Uh, and he was searching for why people in this camp, why certain people endured such horrendous conditions, whereas others simply gave up or even collaborated to try to survive. He searched, what explained this? And what he discovered was it had to do with the person's meaning in life. And the only way that people, he said, maintained their humanity and dignity was to relocate the meaning of their lives to something transcendent, to some transcendent reference point beyond this life and even beyond this world. Compare that to the person who believes that everything happens by way of chance and that everything is an accident. Whatever meaning for life that that person has is very fragile and very delicate. Christians, on the other hand, do not have to deny the reality of pain and suffering. You know that we live in a broken world. But pain and suffering actually makes us cling tighter to the one who is making the world right and to the one who we cannot lose. So then even in pain and suffering, there is meaning, and not just meaning, even in a way, there is prospering in pain and suffering because through that, we get to know the one who we cannot lose even better. This is the point of the fruit that comes with delighting in the Lord. It endures storms. It endures the rhythms and seasons of life. It lasts. Jeremiah 17 fills out this picture for us. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. 
Friends, what would be our root of assurance ultimately? Look at the scope of the entire Bible. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our roots of assurance is nothing other than what Christ did in our place. That Christ was forsaken and separated from God to pay the debt that we owe. One author puts it like this, that Jesus got life without God so that we could have a life with God. And because of Christ, we could be planted by the streams of water that never cease. So friend, on the road to blessing, have you taken hold of that which is truly life? Also, in considering the road to blessing, Christian, are you in a season of drought? Are you in a season of drought? Then come to the waters of God's word. Apply the balm of Gilead. Plumb the riches of Christ Jesus. The act of planting tells us that we need more than a passing glance at God's word. We need it as a way of life. So drink it in. Write its words on your heart. Friend, we cannot expect a vibrant walk with God apart from knowing him in his word. Can't expect it. It would be like expecting to be nourished without eating. This would have us change our way of life. This would have us change our habits. Even as we carve out time each day to sit down and eat a meal. So we must carve out time to sit down and feast on God's word. This would have us internalize God's word, not just read it, but have us find life here. And friend, if you're looking for a good place to start, the Psalms is a good choice. Well, last but not least, different delights not only part ways in this life, but also in the life to come. Here we're looking at verses 5 and 6, the last two verses of this psalm. First notice the way that God destroys. The way that God destroys. Those whose delight is not in God, but in themselves and in their sin, remain under judgment. Verses 5 and 6 show that they see collapse and they are expelled. These are tough verses in the Bible. These are tough. They rail against our pride. Often tough to understand. I think the key to understanding these verses here is to understand that word stand. You see that? To stand would mean to maintain one's cause, to hold one's own, to be unhurt, unterrified. Think about this. How could you do this? How could you stand before the holy almighty God while remaining in a way of life that is opposed to him? How could you stand? So heeding this warning is realizing what is true already right now. It's realizing that apart from God, there is no permanent foundation of hope. It's like chaff. Chaff, even what you may seem to have now, you can't take it with you. One day, it will be gone. But God remains forever. So one day, we will see clearly that there is no other ultimate source of life besides the God of life. So friend, this warning here would tell us, see this now. 
The warning here is meant to help us come to the end of our rope in this life instead of the next. It's meant to show us the truth of Proverbs 14, 12, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Unfortunately, it's often necessary for us to discover where sin and a life apart from God naturally leads before we turn back to God. Think of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Before the prodigal changed his ways, before the prodigal returned to his father, he did not come to himself until he began to feed with pigs. Friends, it's often hard for us to see what the end of departure from God is here and now. But the road apart from God is actually hopeless now. But we will see all the more clearly then that it is hopeless forever. But there is another way. There is a way that the Lord knows, this this psalm says. And that word know means it's an intimate knowledge. It's a special guarding. It's a particular affection. In whose way does the Lord know? The righteous. Who are the righteous? They're those who delight not in themselves, but in the Lord, who pursue him in his word. And where would God's word lead us? It leads us to the one who is the fulfillment of this psalm. If we're honest with ourselves, we're really honest. The description of this blessed man, we don't fit it. Even the so-called Bible heroes that we read about, they don't fit it either. You think about Abraham. Abraham lied about his wife on multiple occasions and risked her defilement. Think about Moses. Moses killed an Egyptian and disobeyed God's direct orders. You think about David. David was a murderer, an adulterer. But think about Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, the one who is said to be without blemish, who knew no sin, in whom there was no deceit in his mouth, the one who said it is his food to do the will of the Father. This is the man of Psalm 1. So the way of the righteous is the way of the only righteous one. Jesus said that himself, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, much of what's said here in Psalm 1 reminds us and leads us to Jesus' words about himself. We talked about the true and constant source of life. Well, Jesus said of himself in John 4, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This psalm talks about the judgment that rests on the way of the wicked. The natural end that comes to sin. It even talks about perishing. Jesus affirms all those things. But do you remember how else Jesus talks about perishing? You probably know it. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not what? Perish, but have eternal life. The road of blessing in Psalm 1 
leads us not to ourselves, but to the Son of God, the only blessed one. It is Jesus who took our wickedness on himself at the cross and has given us his righteousness. And now it is Jesus who helps us live as he lives, as one who delights in God and God alone. Let's pray. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, you are the only true foundation. God, we believe those words. Would you guard our hearts and capture our hearts once again to see how precious you really are, more valuable than anything in this life. So God, reshift our priorities, reshift our way of light. Help us, Lord, for without you we will not stand. We need you every hour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.